0: Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with John Vallis, and we talk about everything going on in the economy, and the Bitcoin world, and listen, if you are new to us, you should know that we've been able to maximize and continue to maximize real estate as a vehicle to front-run some of the stupidity going on in the central banking world, with all these low interest rates that are never-ending, and uh, real estate has been a wonderful way to maximize and front-run some of those actions create asset bases and income streams and all of it and we also know that there's a new world emerging and we want to play in both worlds and when I say new world think like artificial intelligence and artificial reality and robotics and human genome sequencing and satellites going up into space um, all that kind of wonderful stuff and at the base of all of this new world it does feel like there's going to be a new monetary unit of account to us we believe that is going to be bitcoin and that's what we're here to sit down with john about because we nick and i feel strongly that this is something that we should all pay very close attention to. Do not dismiss this topic. And John does a wonderful job of articulating some of the principles of hard money, how that would work in an economy. How does a deflationary economy work instead of an inflationary economy? We get into a chat about traditions and religion and rituals towards the end of this podcast. Actually, the last 20, 30 minutes of this podcast, I particularly enjoyed that whole discussion. So if you, uh, if you stick around for that part, I really think you'll find that super insightful. I, I, I specifically enjoyed that, that chat. And so really appreciate John coming on here. If you are new to John, you should know he runs two different podcasts. He has his own podcast, Bitcoin Rapid Fire. He has amazing guests on that podcast. You should definitely check it out. And then he's the host of another podcast called Closing the Loop. So two podcasts, Bitcoin Rapid Fire and Closing the Loop. He talks about this stuff, probably breaks things down, almost better than I've heard anyone else do it. He does a really good job. There's maybe three or four guys out there That really do a good job of it that I've found, and he's definitely one of them. So really appreciate him taking the time to have this chat. And listen, if you are listening to this and you're gonna dive into the real estate market here in the Greater Toronto area, you can always find the latest things that we are doing and sharing different videos, reports on population. We have some reports outlining the destruction of the middle class here in Canada and what you should be aware of, the population growth in this particular area. We have different books that we share, different videos. All these podcasts are available there as well. You can Get all that particular information at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. So, if you're listening to this and you specifically want some real estate investing information, that's where you can go. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition. And more. It's the Your Life Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone, we are live with John Vallis. And for me personally, I'm thrilled to be talking to John. John has become a voice, I was going to say truth. There you go. That's the first thing that came to my mind when I thought of your name. You see that? A voice of (laughs) truth. Um, And just really, I personally enjoy his perspectives on all things bitcoin life lifestyle you know living family interpersonal relationships i just i just kind of really appreciate your views and the way you articulate them i i
1: personally just enjoy that stuff a lot so john thank you for everything that you're doing well, Tom, I very much appreciate that intro. And I, I got to say, there's there's probably no greater compliment in my mind than having truth be the first thing yeah, yeah, associated with, with uh, my voice. So that's <laughs> great, go. man. And, and you know, I love talking to you too. So I'm looking forward to this. Cool. Okay. So we got
0: into the real estate business. So I was in software for 10 years. Uh, then I got frustrated in the nine to five life. And my brother and I had some student rental properties here in Ontario, and they were generating cash flow for us. And they were going up in appreciation, not as much as they have in the last 10 years, but from 2000 to 2007 or eight, they were going up. And I always thought, why am I going to this corporate job when this real estate feels like front running government stupidity? And I didn't use those words back then. Maybe I was more polite back then, John, mm. but that's kind of the way I thought. And I, and I also thought the traffic on the highways going into the city and my properties are outside of the city and no one's driving that way. So just like I had this metaphorical kind of sense of like, everyone's going that way. I should be going the other way. Like I'm going the wrong way. And eventually uh, we got our real estate licenses because we couldn't find anyone to help us in real estate. We quit our jobs. We started Rockstar Real Estate to help Canadians buy properties in an attempt to kind of front run government action and build an asset base for themselves and all those wonderful things. But we hated the real, I'm getting to my question, we hated right. the real estate industry because it In the industry everyone talks about just oh real estate's the best buy real estate you know only goes up it's the best our family lived through 1990 where real estate collapsed almost bankrupt our family so we knew that wasn't true so we kind of didn't like the industry that we were in but we enjoyed income properties and rental properties because we could talk about things like cash flow and income versus expenses and demand from your customers which are your tenants in different cities so we could change the conversation from just real estate's amazing to all these other aspects of real estate that allowed us to discuss it in a way that was integrity with what we believed. You know, like, look, let's look at the income on a property and not just think the property will go up in value forever. Do rents fluctuate with economic cycles? When, When a property crisis hits, do rents come down? We should be aware of that. We should study that. We should look at data. So it gave us all these talking points and it really gave us an angle or a niche inside the real estate market that really resonated with us and allowed us to speak about it. Now, you know, It got us into gold and silver and the whole bit. And now in the last, I guess it's been since uh, for me, March, 2020 into the Bitcoin world. I find that uh, I'm talking about Bitcoin a lot. And um, when I discuss it with people, I get a little frustrated with myself because many people will just look at me and they think that I'm just talking about the price. And they're just like, oh yeah, the price is up or the price is down or, you know, whatever. And, and it's a kind of, to me, a very superficial talk. But when I t- think of Bitcoin, I think of it from property rights. Mm. And I really think it's important for people to think of Bitcoin as a way to own property. And I don't know, um, I don't know how to have that conversation with people. So when I say Bitcoin and property rights to you, I'm just curious what comes to mind How do you talk about Bitcoin in that, with that angle? I'd like to hear your thoughts on some of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And I I mean, the simple thing is, is most people have never really had to concern themselves with property rights. You know, the the main uh, enforcer of property rights is the state. I mean, you could make the case that that's the primary reason, it's primary raison d'etre. Now it's become this Leviathan that does a hell of a lot more in society that we would probably both agree is uh, unnecessary and ultimately damaging, but you know the state is supposed to have that monopoly on violence for the very purpose of enforcing and preserving property rights. So that if someone infringes upon your property and the right that you have associated to it, they can punish them, prohibit them, what have you. Um, but you know I think human history in many cases is an example of how that the faults in that method of instantiating property rights. You know, it obviously has some utility, and it's not all bad, but it's highly susceptible to corruption. And again, you know, in today's world, perhaps that's not something that's top of mind for people, at least in developed countries, right? Because their property rights are more or less preserved, although a lot of people don't, uh, they don't interpret, let's say, something like inflation as a violation of their property rights. Uh, They just you know, if they interpret it at, at, at all, they just think it's something it's a natural fact of life or, or something like
0: yeah, that. Yeah. And your, your income will go up. So what's the big deal?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Bitcoin, as you said, it's it's the first time that we have something where the those property rights basically cannot be violated, or at least they're the most inviolable property rights that we've ever had. You know, and the very simple maybe analogy or example here is that even something like gold, right? Which is the kind of like the highest concentration of value, right? All your surplus capital, whether you're an early agricultural farmer, whatever, whatever you derive from the excess via trade, you extend out the, uh, the value, you extend the time horizon of that capital optimally in, in gold, right? And that's kind of what becomes money the, things that, the, the thing that allows us to extend our surplus capital the most through space and time. Uh, But even something like that, because of its physical nature and because you have to custody and preserve it and and protect it in a certain way, it is susceptible to that property right being violated. And the story of history is very much armies go across borders. Hey, Joe, where's your gold at? Because that's what we're here for. You know, we'll we'll take your productive labor, too. But the first thing is the gold. Um, And so Bitcoin is this really unique phenomenon where. Somehow, you know, and through, through the method by which Satoshi put these different constituent parts together and through how the community has fostered it and cultivated it throughout time, now we have a property right that basically, because Bitcoin is essentially information, how do you violate that? And I guess, you know, to, to bring it to its rightful end, the only way to violate it really is through torture, right? Because ultimately, Bitcoin is held in your consciousness. I mean, that's a obviously an extremely far out notion that you could have a billion dollars in the ether of your consciousness and nowhere else. That's very bizarre, right? But but the point is, is that nobody can just, you know, mug you and take it. No, no government can compel you to give it up or the, the only method of accessing it is through compulsion or coercion or through torture. But the punchline is, is that throughout, every, throughout history, every other asset was confiscatable whether or not you participated ultimately right i mean you, of course you could hide gold but still it's going to be there somewhere at some point in the future and maybe someone can can find it bitcoin if, if you don't give it up and you know you're you're gone it's gone forever and yeah as you say this is a very very unique form of property right and i think as a result of this we'll see the majority of that surplus capital that I was just articulating, right? So when the surplus capital that we generate from production, I think that will mean that because the assurances of uh, its security are so high, right? So those property rights are so inviolable. And because of the other monetary attributes that it has, we'll see a lot of the monetary premium that's been placed on everything throughout society as a result of the failings in the money, kind of be siphoned into Bitcoin and we'll see it become that primary means of storing excess and surplus capital. And it will become, you know, effectively the capital stock that will, that our, our relationship with which will determine the evolution and the the success and the production and the time preferences of, of the culture, you know, and, and, and what we see as, as a civilization. If, yeah, so many questions I want to ask you about all of the, what you
0: just said, but if you had to just take a guess on when the some of that capital gets sucked into Bitcoin. Cause I think about that a lot. Like I think of, of real estate prices and I think, wow, they've really benefited from, you know, the monetization that they've been able to take on because people have had fiat dollars looking for a home. You park them in real estate and that's kind of like a very normal thing to do. Mm. Um, but now as more and more people understand this, this other form of property, how long does this take? Is this something that you and I are alive? Like, is this something in five years? It just, you know, Jeff Booth's 50 folds. Like, where, and for those of you who don't know How Jeff, many folds of, in, yeah, say. yeah. Like, I know, I guess you've probably been asked that before, but like, Jeff Booth has this example that if you fold a piece of paper 50 times, no one would believe that the 50th fold takes you to the sun. And it's because of the exponential growth in the size of those folds. So when you see an asset, a new monetary asset like Bitcoin being born and it's a new p- form of property right that is like in, you know in your consciousness, I like that, where, where do you think we are on those folds? Like are we yeah, you know, like we're in fold three
1: or like where are 30 <laughs> yeah. where, where where are <laughs> we? It's a great question. And I think, you know, in in the Bitcoin space, we love to talk, we love to articulate the different elements of this phenomenon. But the fact of the matter is, is that most people will never get to that stage, in my opinion, they'll maybe move further along the line of being able to consciously articulate what's going on. For example, like the word fiat has entered the public lexicon in the last five years. And that's very interesting and that's, that's awesome because it introduces a new idea into how to, a framework to look at all this stuff and, and to, to try to understand it better. But I think uh, by and large, what has always been the case is that people are just going to follow the price signal. The price signal will have a tremendous amount of information, relevant and true information that people will simply act on and respond to rather than consciously interpret as you and I might because we're so interested in this stuff. So, you know, just like real estate, right? Like why has real estate investing be, you know become a big thing over the last 30 years? It's not necessarily because everyone knows they're trying to uh, insulate themselves from inflation, for example. They're just saying, oh, real estate appreciates at. 10% a year, 15% a year, whatever it is and there's this much cash flow from it. That's sig- you know, and that's the signal that motivates them. And I think the same will be true from Bic- with bitcoin, you know, and that's in the space we say people come for number go up, right? Because hey, everyone wants to be wealthier, everyone wants to be richer and if I see something that's going up 150% compound annual, then yeah, I mean, why wouldn't I want to participate in that? And so they don't realize that the process that they're feeding into is the demonetization of all other store value assets, because what they'll be doing is saying, and and you've probably experienced this, hey, maybe I'm gonna sell this house because I mean, in recent years, maybe it's gone up 30%, which is insane, but you know, a house that's gone up 30%, but it has maintenance costs and it has this and that, and all these other variables. And Bitcoin is going up 150% a year, and there's no maintenance or storage costs. And it has all these other characteristics and assurances. So maybe I want to allocate more. I want to rebalance and allocate more capital to that. And just the process of everybody making those decisions is what is the process of everything being demonetized in favor of Bitcoin. Now, you know, how quickly does that happen, I guess, is your question. And to what extent does it happen? Like, do antiques and fine art be like, how much do they become demonetized? Right. How much is their current pricing a result of monetary policy over the last 50 years. I don't know. We're going to find out, though, I think, because Bitcoin's uh, Bitcoin is so compelling in that way of being the the best ever store of value. And as we'll probably discuss later, a transactional layer currency, uh, it, it's almost a no brainer why it would siphon off the, the monetary premium of all these assets. It's not to say there won't be an art market because we all like to have a beautiful sure. environment. Right. But I think the money has leaked out into so many assets. I mean, you, we, we can even look at what's been happening with like used car uh, market, like the prices of used cars and used goods of all kinds. Like when we have basically if, if the depreciation of the asset or if the inflation rate exceeds the depreciation of the asset, then that asset becomes a store value to a degree, right? Because it's all relative. And so in a hyperinflationary environment, everything becomes a store value asset because the money is increasingly losing its ability to do just that, to store value. And so we're seeing, um, the I guess, Bitcoin is the emergence of the reversal of that trend that's been happening for 50 years, where because the money has been failing, the store value component of the money has been going to stocks and real estate and art and wine and all of these things. We're seeing the reversal of that now. Bitcoin is sucking in all that monetary premium. And uh, I think a long-winded way of answering your question. I think it's kind of like a gradually then suddenly uh, sort of thing. I, I I think the the cat's getting out of the bag and you, you bring up Preston and he kind of gives it like a 50-50 chance that this cycle is like where the cat really gets out of the bag and it, it, there's kind of a watershed moment. I don't know if human psychology works like that. It may always be kind of somewhat incremental, but I think you and I would agree. Like it's, it's become so obvious now. It's kind of hard to imagine that that does remain a secret for that much longer. You know, like this is, the thesis is more and more compelling and more and more obvious. And there's more and more people interpreting and articulating it in in ways that different constituents and demographics of people can understand. I don't know. I I think it could really accelerate from here.
0: It, It reminds me of a time in, uh, you know, uh, the late 80s and early 90s, I feel like an old guy saying these, these dates, but uh, when my, you know, my family kind of lived through the hyperinflation in Croatia, and it was picking up, picking up, picking up, and then in a 24-month window, it was over. Like, it, it, yeah. it picked up, it picked up, it picked up. I, I can't remember if I told you before, our aunt went to jail for uh, exchanging dinars for German marks because people were trying to protect their purchasing power. The government there caught her. She was in jail for two weeks for that. And uh, and then it just, in 24 months, boom, like it was gone. And a, a different aunt of mine went to the bank. This is way outside in the middle of nowhere in Croatia. They didn't even count the dollar, uh, the dinars there. They just had a plexiglass box. And you just filled it with whatever currency denominations you had. And it, when the box was filled, you got X number of the new denomination of currency. Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah. They didn't even count it. You just filled what you had in a box.
1: Think about that. This is a it's true crazy. story. This yeah, is a true nice. story. <laughs> but you know, man, people think, and this is something I've been really banging on lately, especially with friends and, and family, you know, because you're involved in this magic internet money stuff, and you don't want to take on the responsibility of like being so uh, adamant with your family about them getting involved. Right. Cause if anything should happen, you're yeah, on the hook yeah, for yeah. it. You don't want to be involved, but we're, we're in like, you know, Dorsey recently made that comment about hyperinflation on Twitter. And objectively, I mean, people can look at it and say, oh, you know, the official figure is 5%. The real figure is maybe 20%. But, you know, it's not hyperinflation, whatever, whatever. But like, we're right in the middle of this thing. It's not like it's not happening yet. It, it may happen in the future. Like the reason why, it. yeah, we're in a homes going up 30% a year. I was speaking with my mother a couple of days ago and uh, she said, you know, the same Tenderloin, you know, big piece of meat that she bought a year ago, you know, for the freeze or something, which was a hundred bucks, is now two hundred bucks. And so, like, I'm becoming increasingly adamant with them, saying, like, look, if you don't take measures to protect yourself from this, you're going to wind up on the wrong side of it. And the wrong side of it means your world becomes increasingly narrow because you don't have as many options, and everything becomes increasingly expensive, and you're less and less able to keep your head above water, especially if you're, you're in a, a small business, which you know my family is. Uh, whereas if you adopt Bitcoin, both on an individual and a personal level, it seems to be that thing. And, and of course, it seems a little bit too good to be true, but it seems to be that thing that counterbalances the insanity of the monetary policy and the broader economic landscape that's happening right now. You put that on your, your personal or, or commercial balance sheet, and you're able to weather this storm. Because if you're a restaurant business, which they are, and your labor costs went up 25% in the last year or whatever it is, I mean, there's massive labor shortage despite there being high unemployment, you know, so consider the insanity of, of all that, but their labor costs, their food inputs, their energy costs, all those things have gone up by 10, 20, 30, 40% energy costs have doubled over the last year. If you wanna weather that, you're gonna need something that mimics that on the reverse side, which is appreciating. And again, that, that is Bitcoin. So you mentioned you got in at 2020. I mean, that's probably the timing of the century really to get into, to Bitcoin. Well, that's when I started where you took me about 45 days from March. Start reading in March. (laughs) I'm
0: trying to look at my first purchase. I think it's April, the end of April or May 4th. It's right around there was my first entry point, but you're right. I got, I feel like it was done. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) But, but the broader point, and, and this is what I like Don't think about this as a a risky speculation. I I had a family call the other night and a couple of things I told them. One was Bitcoin is now, I think, the seventh or eighth largest single asset in the world, right? You have gold, you have Apple computer, you have uh, Microsoft, Saudi Aramco, Facebook, maybe one or two others, and then you have Bitcoin, right? So it's not like an upstart anymore. It's a pretty damn blue chip conservative bet, at least in terms of size. And, you know, the other thing I mentioned is try to be unemotional about The assets at your disposal, whether it's a business you own, whether it's other financial investments that you have, consider them gray boxes with different attributes. What is the best way to balance your assets right now to optimize your future? And, you know, obviously I believe it's Bitcoin because the maintenance costs are so low. The appreciation, the uh, asymmetry of appreciation is still so high. Uh, And there's many, many other benefits, of course. And I think that as you were saying, Bitcoin is not best considered a speculative asset, but the primary and most effective means of storing your wealth for the long term. It just so happens that we're at the beginning of this adoption S-curve that Bitcoin is going through. So it has that kind of paradoxical, it has both a very high rate of return, expected rate of return, let's say, probable rate of return, as well as the highest degree of almost conservativeness because there's no counterparty risk and the assurances that it provides are so great. And so people tend to think that like the lower the return, that means that your risk is lower as well. And if if you can see through Bitcoin's volatility and not equate volatility with risk, then I think Bitcoin is actually simultaneously the most secure and the most conservative asset that you can own just so happens that because we're in this once in a lifetime, once in a several hundred years, once in a millennia monetization of a new form of money, which will probably be more or less completed within, you know, inside of 20, 25 years, which we're halfway through now. It just so happens that in that period, you get the best of both because you get the, the security and solidness of that asset with the potential, the high potential rate of return because it's it's currently being adopted globally. So it's, but to your point, it's a tough one to get through to people because there's a lot of kind of conflicting assumptions that, that muddy the waters.
0: And I think people will, if they get into it, they think they then miss the boat on it and they'll go into some of the other tokens or coins kind of in the world, which which then it. the only way I can help articulate some of that stuff when I'm discussing this with people is it reminds me of the late 1990s. I was in, I was at Oracle. I was in the tech support department. That's why before I ended up in sales, I was in tech support and I would, I was in the tech support department that handled TCP IP and windows. And there was a competing network called Novell networks. You're young, I'm old. You probably never even heard of this thing, but Novell networks was a different protocol. It was a completely different protocol. And we had like one guy left in the department who could understand that protocol. But it was a communication protocol. And if you were running Novell Networks, it was completely separate from the open protocol of TCP IP. And I always remember thinking like, why isn't like, why is no one using that kind of closed protocol instead of TCP IP? Mm. And everything was being built on top of TCP IP, which is the internet kind of language for anyone listening to this. And then on top of TCP IP, everything was built. All these other applications were built. And there was an attempt by a few other networks to kind of like be the base layer protocol, but they never really succeeded because they were closed. So you didn't have all these developers working on them. And it's just so reminds me of Bitcoin. So when I tell people, I'm like, you don't understand. Bitcoin, there can be other protocols, sure, whatever you want, but there's one base layer protocol, which everything should be based off that holds the monetary value, because that's going to be the most important component of an economy. And you can build on top of that protocol. But what's we are at an era right now where a lot of these other coins, in my opinion, I don't know everything, but just from my, the way I view it, they're trying to build another base layer protocol. And I feel like people are going to get caught up in that and not understand the characteristics that how secure Bitcoin is, how finite the supply is, all the things that make Bitcoin what it is. And they're distracted by, I've missed the price. I've missed the opportunity. I'm going to go into these other things. And I just feel like I've seen this story before. It, to me, it reminds me of all the things that were built on these other networks, but then the open network ultimately won. So for example, back then in the IT world, you had something called intranets. I don't know if you ever heard intranet and you would go to Royal bank and Royal bank internally for their employees would have an intranet with the news and some sports news and the weather, but it was controlled just to internally to the network at Royal bank. That all got destroyed because the internet with the open network just was that much better. The, the internet's disappeared. And then Microsoft had products that were built for a client server architecture. I know I'm being long-winded here, John, but I just feel like I need to get this out. Um, Go for it. The, the, the client server architecture was Microsoft's way of saying you would put software uh, uh, programs on your computer and they would access a server on the back end, And it was really sexy because you could develop things quickly. And you could develop an application in Visual Basic or Power Builder really quickly. So everybody jumped up on board. There was all these developers was all this excitement. But under the covers, the internet architecture was being built, slow and steady, slow and steady. And then by about the year 2004, all the client server software developers just got destroyed yeah. because the internet architecture got to this usability level and the internet grew in speed where the client server model just looked stupid, where you had to put computer programs on individual computers and update them all the time. Everybody just went to web based stuff. Salesforce.com was emerged from that. NetSuite, where I worked, was born from that. And I feel like I'm seeing it all over again with Bitcoin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That like there's this base layer that's here and exists, and there's slowly these other layers being built on top of it, like Lightning and all this stuff. But so many people are getting distracted because maybe it's sexier and more fun and exciting with this other stuff. And it, it just, uh, I don't know how to articulate it. So I use some of these examples of, as ways. Sorry, it's, John, It just went off on a weird tangent there. I don't even no, know. <laughs> you're,
1: but you're perfectly, I totally agree with you. And it is tough. I mean, look, like it's hard not to seem like a crazy person when you talk about Bitcoin because one, there's such a high degree of excitement around this. If you really kind of dig in and, and start to understand what's going on. And two, it's so unprecedented, many elements of this thing that how do you find the words to communicate something that people don't really have a frame of reference for? It's difficult. Uh, but I think that the, pro- the open protocol versus closed is, is a very good one. And I think the, the analogies to the internet is something that people can at least appreciate even if they don't have a technical background. And you know that, that idea of having an open protocol that the entire world can iterate on versus these, these closed systems, having one that's secured by, has the greater assurances and therefore the most likely to survive into the future versus these closed, more controlled, more manipulatable ones. I think that's all relevant. But unfortunately, as you said, I think especially in times like these where people's purchasing power uh, is being diminished so rapidly, it puts kind of more pressure or more anxiety on each individual to keep pace with that and to try to overcome that diminishment of their purchasing power as a result in times of hyperinflation you typically get more gambling and more risky behavior by, he, by by people because you you actually they are pushed out on the risk spectrum just to preserve their capital and it becomes this kind of culture of taking greater and greater risk to try to not you know preserve your capital and then grow your capital and this you know the, the shitcoin casino is perfect for this because all these different narratives emerge and they're flashy and they're new and they've got, you know, the marketing budgets and whatever else. And they promise these, these crazy returns. And in this insane environment, I mean, look at this coin Shiba Inu or whatever it's (laughs) called, right? Like, you know, if you invested a thousand bucks a year ago, now you're a billionaire or something. Right. And this is the, this is the craziness. And like, if you can play that game and you come out on top more power to you, but ninety nine. 0.9% of people will lose money and get burned as a result of this. And I think the the ethos and the advice coming from the Bitcoin space is like, first of all, do your homework, really dig into this. Don't make moves too hasty. Try to appreciate what this is. And don't you know, don't go after the get rich quick thing. Put put your money in a place where you know that it'll be there for you in the future, even if it's a, a humble amount and then do work, provide value and save in this mechanism. And you'll probably probably be surprised and happy with the rewards that come from that because you know what? 100% growth on your savings per year really ain't that bad. You know, and, and that compounds pretty damn quickly. And so, you know, I think I love to dig into the personal aspect of this as you probably know and one of the 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 phenomenons that i'm observing is that when people can be so sure about an element of their future and perhaps the most important which is their financial security because that dictates what their what they can do with their life and the options they have avail- available to them when they have such a high degree of security over that it really seems to free them up to pursuing things that are more meaningful to them in the here and now right so like we and it seems to happen very on a subconscious level where so many people in the world today just stay on that hamster wheel and they're not even really sure why, but you know, their, their, their savings are not secure and therefore they keep having to work harder and harder for lesser and lesser reward. And then of course they're, they're existing in a culture that's influenced by that circumstance. And so it's kind of like make money, spend money, you know, live for today, all that kind of stuff. And what we're seeing in Bitcoin is like, when, when you can be so certain that your stored labor, you know, the, the fruits of your labor will be there for you when you need them in the future, and you can have greater assurances over that than ever before, you, you, it seems like people start to ask themselves like, do I really wanna be doing what I'm doing? Is this really the best use of my time? My, secure, my future is increasingly secure as I kind of tithe this system and I keep putting my savings there and as that grows and grows people are getting in situations and circumstances where they can say do i really want to be doing this what what is the thing that really makes me feel alive what is the thing that i feel makes is most meaningful to me and at, we're seeing this change slowly at the moment but bitcoiners all over the world seem to be saying like i don't want to work in that fiat job anymore and you hear every day on twitter like celebratory you know people exclaiming like last day at the fiat job. Now I'm working full-time in Bitcoin. I joined a Bitcoin company or I've started a family or like it really, that element of being more certain about your future really starts to change people fundamentally. And I, I think in a tremendous way, because I mean, what's more important than people pursuing the things in life that they believe are the most meaningful to them. I mean, it makes them a happier person. They have more energy for the work they're doing. It becomes infectious and they spread it to other people the the mission that they end up being a part of is so much has such a greater gravity and it attracts other people to it i mean it's all so so the, the so, older generation so
0: can act as mentors because people who are retiring don't have to worry about money so mm-hmm. they can act as mentors to the younger generation which i feel like for the last 100 years has kind of been lost we don't mm-hmm. have a genera- we have a generation today that feels like they have to keep working Because they don't know through inflation, if they're going to be able to afford their bills two months out, wouldn't it be great to have an older generation that could mentor all of us that could almost be respected that they have a property right that goes up in value and is securing their future that they can then mentor the children they can mentor the middle i mean to me that's the society i want to live in i want to live in a world where older people are respected and part of that respect to me is that they have earned property that doesn't get devalued or debased or whatever word we want to talk about it so that they so that they can live a peaceful life reflect think and share wisdom back to other people whereas i feel we've been robbed of that over the last 50 years and i yeah. feel that is a reflection on the type of society that we have now that we're missing those mentors in yeah. our world and so I agree with everything you're saying. And I love the fact that, you know, I, I'm, I'm about to turn 49. I have some Bitcoin. I think it hit me. We did an event for our clients, uh, John, last Saturday and, and uh, Jeff Booth was talking on it. And he said something that just hit me right in the middle of this thing. He said, if you have something that is, you know, that is good property like Bitcoin, if it's going up in value, you're just going to feel more secure in your life. And I have to admit, that's kind of how I've felt since I've been buying Bitcoin. That's how yeah. I've felt. Yeah. I, I've looked around saying, hey, everything's kind of good. Like I, my, my wealth <laughs> is going up. I can yeah. afford things I want to afford.
1: Yeah,
0: And, you know, I like, I like where this can all take us. And that leads me to a question. You had a great podcast with Preston Pish. If anyone is not listening to John Vallis's podcast, I think that was on the Closing the Loop mm. um, podcast. Was that Closing the Loop?
1: Yep.
0: On the closing the loop podcast, you had this great chat with Preston Fish, who I love. Like I love Preston Fish's angle and all this kind of stuff. But you guys had this interesting little 10-minute part at the end where he extrapolated Bitcoin forward and said, Well, let's talk about hyper bitcoinization. And he, he said, Let's not spend too much time there. But I love spending time there. And I, I feel like you like you like talking. So I wanted to ask your question. In my understanding is if that if, if we were to go to hyper bitcoinization and Bitcoin became some sort of monetary standard, and then The value of people's property or money goes up and things around it go down in price, which to me would be good. Mm -hmm. Preston brought up an interesting point. He said, Well, you know, wouldn't that ultimately, in some capacity, perhaps, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he was just toying with this idea perhaps make a general population lax in that they wouldn't be motivated to do anything because their money would be going up in value. And I think then you guys had this interesting chat, which I want to explore. I think that. If, you know, when new people are born into the world and start working, if the money continues to go up in value, society and civilization will have to produce greater and greater valuable goods or greater, greater goods of, of, of greater value mm-hmm. in order for people with Bitcoin to separate themselves from the Bitcoin, which means things, basic things like clothing, or 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 transportation or everything around the world will increase and it could leave, lead us to this beautiful world. How crazy do I sound right now? And can you articulate some of this stuff probably better than I can, just so for, yeah. for everyone listening? But do you get do you get do you get where uh, of I'm course. headed
1: with this? Yeah, you, you don't you don't it sounds entirely rational to me. And I think you know, maybe I could uh begin with the, the final point, but I think the, the quality of the money dictates the quality of the economy, the culture, the society, and if That's what's so encouraging, because if we all just basically agree that the quality of the money we've had for the last 50 plus years is absolute dog shit uh, and Bitcoin is pristine, then man, what kind of culture gets built on that? So basically, as you say, you know, and this is what a lot of mainstream economists say, like, well, if you have a deflationary currency, everyone's going to get fat off off that deflation. Nobody wants to work. And I actually brought this up with Preston and Preston actually has a different angle than I had initially explored so his angle is simply if you have a currency that when lost cannot be recovered given enough time does it not all get lost <laughs> you know and it, it's actually an interesting point now he was saying that it, it, it would be exponential and I was asking him like well, well why would loss be exponential it seems like a more linear thing to me um and, you know, we're just speculating. We don't know. Perhaps custody solutions get far more resilient in the future. I mean, I think that will be the case. And we'll have collaborative custody solutions with a lot of fail-safes that mean people aren't losing near as much coins as they Which have done. Which we need
0: for- to, because we've all had a holy shit moment with our right, custody. Right, right,
1: sure. <laughs> right. And I mean, I mean, how many coins are lost right now? Three, four million? I think that's the estimate. So a lot has been lost. And, you know, it benefits those that, that hold the coin and not so much the people that lose them. But uh, I think the point that I often bring up and that I often push back from these mainstream economists is I say, you know, in a, in a currency that can't be inflated, then whatever your annual rate of growth is, let's say in the market or globally, let's, and let's say it's gonna be higher because the, the efficiency of the allocation of capital is so much greater in something like Bitcoin. Let's say the global growth is five, six, seven, eight, whatever, percent a year then the the value of the money will have to grow by that amount to accommodate the new goods and services in circulation. But that doesn't, like, a natural equilibrium is found there because you wouldn't get that rate of production without people engaging the economy, working, and producing. It's not like in this scenario, like, everyone can just do nothing and you get that rate of growth. The rate of growth and, therefore, the rate of depreciation – uh, yeah, uh, n- n- appreciation in the currency. Oh, got it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh is a result of the production, right? So they're not. You can't de-link them and just kind of look at each in isolation. Mm-hmm. And to your to your point, I totally agree. I mean, right now, let's say when you have artificially low interest rates, the hurdle rate that you have to you know encounter when you want to produce something of value is so artificially low. Right. So you you can access capital at a very low rate and you can say, hey, I want to make trinkets for the store and I'm going to return four percent on the money. Oh, great. The interest rate is two. So happy days. Let's let's make it work. But if in a sound money system where the capital stock and the preferences of borrowers and lenders is, you know, this is something I explored with Preston, not only uh, perfectly matched right? So there's no intermediation there. It's real, but it's also real time because money is now moving at the speed of light. So we get a real time cost of capital globally. And what that means for the efficiency of capital allocation is literally mind blowing to me. I mean, because right now we have fake money, artificial interest rates updated quarterly, biannually, annually. I mean, that is so, so inefficient because the the preferences that are generated on behalf of borrowers and lenders are impacted daily based on what occurs out in the broader world, right? Our preferences always change. If you get in a car accident, if you, you know, it's always in flux. And so our cost of capital and our access to capital should be equally in flux to, to optimize for an equilibrium between people who have capital, people who want capital and the rate at which they're willing to lend it out in order to presumably grow their capital. And so to your point, I think we'll see, especially in the interim kind of transitory uh, transition period, we will see a higher cost of capital. And what that will mean is that if you want to be someone who's going to try to access capital through lending, you have to present to someone, a, a capital allocator, someone who has capital, something of greater value Right. You, you, it can't just be something of frivolous value like you're gaming. The this system is a at.
0: huge point to me. This is a huge point mm-hmm. because I feel like it takes us from a fiat society, which I think Saifedean always talks about or uses that term. Absolutely. Yeah. To yeah. a society. And I don't know the right term, but it, we just get better stuff. We get better shit
1: mm-hmm. exactly.
0: because the cost of capital is accurate. It's real time, like you're saying. So you have to produce better shit or somebody who has the good capital is not going to separate themselves from that capital. Like it's as basic as that that to me.
1: Yeah. And I like to think of, of things in terms of like how we make decisions and how we move through the world in terms of the value hierarchies that kind of construct our consciousness and how we preferentially select one thing over the next in order to make decisions in our life. And basically, you could say that this sort of dynamic would just mean that the capital that's being allocated is addressing things higher up on our value hierarchy rather than further down. And, you know, it's almost like if you had a lens or like some sort of parameters. Yeah, that's a good that way to think a, of it. Yeah. 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 Moved, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. Right, right now we're kind of like right at the bottom, yeah. <laughs> everything gets produced. Doesn't matter if people really want it or not, because there's so much uh, uh, artificial yeah, there's, easy money. Per, there's so much perversion of, of that dynamic and that mechanism. But I think what sound money will do, and a sound money that moves at the speed of light and that can cross the and is completely frictionless for transfer all over the world, will bring us r- way, right up to the top. So we'll begin to answer as a culture what are the things that we value most, collect, taken together as a collective? And I think it's really interesting and I think it's instructive to look at the Bitcoin community because these are the first people that are really having their internal value hierarchies uh, adjusted by this phenomenon. And what do we see in that community? And again, I'm generalizing, of course, but largely we see people who end up uh, not valuing the frivolous spending in life, right? The toys, the trinkets, the whatever the hell else, and seem to be valuing, and this is the really kind of trippy part about Bitcoin, because it represents such a, a nexus of value, it, it, it ends up being a judge to all the other things that you might value in your life. Cause it's kind of like, well, would you want, do you want Bitcoin or do you want X, Y, Z? And most people are saying, well, I value Bitcoin for the optionality and security that it provides for my future. And so what can stand up to that degree of judgment? What's left over when you juxtapose those things. And it seems to be the things that are of more transcendent value, love relationships, health, beauty, joy, nature. Time. and yeah exactly time and what do you know in the bitcoin community we see this shifting preference for people you know people wanting to take care of their health more people wanting to to build more trusting genuine relationships people wanting to pursue things in their life like we were saying before that they find more meaningful and not just you know a job to pay the bills people wanting to establish more freedom in their lives people wanting to contribute to causes that they think are are good and important like this is what we seem to be seeing and so how that manifests into a broader global culture once once this shift begins to happen in people is super exciting to me because whatever those values end up being that we value most highly as individuals and as a collective i think those are the things that end up getting amplified rather than the situation we have right now where we're amplifying the thing like the lowest common denominator so, you know, to your point, I think we see a, f- a more beautiful, a more fair, a more creative, a more honest world, you know, many, many, many other it's things. Awesome. World I, I get this, excited you know?
0: thinking about it. And this is when I think I get crazy because I get so excited <laughs> thinking about it. I want to jump up and down and tell it. I'm, I'm being serious. Yeah, I'm you with you, man. I think we might be closer than I originally thought because today I'm battling a bank on a bank wire. Okay. And I have one bank telling the other bank, they're not going to send my quote unquote fiat dollars because of a digit problem. And, you know, I just look at my phone and I have a lightning wallet on there. I have a Bitcoin wallet. I have a lightning wallet and I've been sending lightning payments around more and more frequently recently. Um, I've been sending Bitcoin to people more and more frequently. We've had a few people uh, get tenants for some properties for us and we've paid them in Bitcoin. Uh, they understand Bitcoin. We understand Bitcoin. We're like, hey, do you want to be paid in Bitcoin? And then part of me is like, I don't want to give up any of my Bitcoin, but I'll pay you in Bitcoin for the, <laughs> for the just to prove this point here. Um, yeah. But when I see the banking system like that, like it's going to take me three or four business days, business days and business mm-hmm. hours to resolve this. And, you know, it's a project we're involved with. The money's got to go over here. And I'm just thinking, this is just, old, oh, like this is antiquated. I used to work at Royal Bank of Canada's IT department it was mainframe computers written with cobol programming language and it was job control language jcl that you had to use to make this stuff work i'm 100% sure it's the same stuff mm. it's batch job old tech that's been spaghettied together and i look at this stuff and now that the way i see the lightning network growing so quickly i'm like my god like we we might be closer to some of these things that i had originally thought and yeah. who knows but I think Jeff Booth was talking about the Lightning Network is growing at like four percent a day right now. But Something it leads crazy, me to a yeah. yeah, it leads me to a question I want your opinion on. It was another podcast that you had recently on, on the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast. you and the guest were talking about some stuff, and he was into Bitcoin and he thought everybody should own some. He made a couple of comments about the banking system, and it led me to believe that a lot of people who are even into Bitcoin, they still believe the current banking system is the center of the monetary universe. I really think it's going to be that control. I think it's going to be violently ripped from the banking system. And and I think our need for the banking system and and that, that's, that could be ugly. It it could be a bit ugly, but I just, I get the sense that this isn't going to be a smooth transition, that there will be a moment where you're going to want to have some of this stuff now to prepare. And I don't like that, but I feel like there's a bit of, financial violence ahead. Do you, what do you think? Do you, do you think like the the, the person was, and it has nothing to do with the person itself. It was just a comment that like, they really seemed like we kind of have to keep the current financial system in place or otherwise, how are people going to get into Bitcoin and how would they get their Bitcoin? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to survive. And I don't know if that means five years, seven years, 10 years. I, I don't know. Yeah. But my center of the financial universe is becoming outside of the current system completely. Yeah. Do you, so I don't even really know what my question here is, John. Well, let me, than-
1: I'll, I'll answer Cause I, I yeah. you know, I, I know where you're going with this and I, look, I agree. I think it does matter what your perspective is and, and what your unit of account is. And as we often say, like when you switch to a Bitcoin unit of account, not, you know, the world kind of seems to become a lot more clear and you can see more easily the faults and things. And, you know, I share those frustrations with the existing banking system. And some people say like, well, we get all this white label ETF, Bitcoin exposure stuff. People are going to get burned. There's going to be rehypothecation. What happens to your 21 million hard cap after that? And look, it's all going to be growing pains. At the end of the day, you can verify your own transactions. You can verify the total amount of Bitcoin. And that's best practices to ensure that those things don't happen on a large enough scale to, to cause a lot of disruptions. I, you know, I plan for the worst, hope for the best, right? And I, I think that um, you're, you're probably right in that this system is so antithetical to the existing financial system that even though it seems like the, the doors are opening to the existing system and banks are starting to offer services around Bitcoin and helping people buy, the, the thing is just like on an individual level, you can't change Bitcoin. So what's what's the only thing that can happen? Bitcoin is going to change you. We talked about this on the personal side of things. I think it's going to happen on the institutional side. And so Bitcoin, they can welcome Bitcoin in like a Trojan horse and think that they're they're helping to uh, you know, ensure their not be too dis- yeah, ensure their survival <laughs> not be too disrupted by it. But I think, you know, Bitcoin will slowly morph them. And as you say when the the value proposition of using Bitcoin versus anything in the legacy system is so abundantly obvious that as you say, like it, and as we've been talking, like it seems like it's just gonna, well, it is clicking, right? Every day it's clicking for more people and they're going, hold on a second, you know, four days, 40 bucks, three hours on the phone, whatever to do a wire, or I can send a billion dollars for 89 cents right now. And within 15 minutes, it's like secured in the blockchain confirmed, never coming out, right? Never being changed. Uh, that is just too much of a powerful value proposition to, and it, it, this is the point, right? Like, I don't think everyone's going to get every facet of this thing. They're not going to make this decision consciously. But when people realize like, oh, like I can tip someone half the world away, I can pay for the little Fiverr website job I did or whatever to someone in Nigeria and I can just send them on lightning and boom, it's done. And that's it. And also they're giving me better rates because they want, they preferentially prefer Bitcoin than, you know, whatever other currency I might send them. Like I I think things could really accelerate there. And so I disagree with the person you're referring to uh, that was on my podcast where they thought that, will kind of mess it up, right? Like, first of all, I that, could feel you know, I could
0: feel that you disagree too. Just yeah, sure, to- <laughs> sure.
1: And I wanted, you know, if we, if we weren't so constrained on time, I would have broken into it more. But uh, I think he's uh, discounting how resilient Bitcoin will be and how much of an upgrade it is and how disruptive it will be to the existing system. And to your point about it being messy, um, a lot of people won't make the right decision, most likely. And the, the thing that... And that's too bad, right? Because we want everybody to prosper from this, but the fact is not everybody will, but even so the world and the capital, the capital allocators of the future are the people that hold the most Bitcoin right now. I think the way that they will allocate capital will will benefit everybody. And if in the future, even if you miss out on like the initial distribution phase that we're currently in, the simple fact that you can live, work, earn and save in an economy in a market that uses Bitcoin as money rather than something else is already a tremendous benefit. And I know I sound like you know, I don't want to sound condescending, but like I really mean that. Like even if I was starting from zero, if you're starting from zero in a sound money economy of the na- of the type that Bitcoin will foster, you will ha- you will have access to opportunity, right? You will actually be able to uh, your the value that accrues to you right your earnings will be directly correlated to how hard you work the value you provide to the market and that's exactly how it should be and you will be building on a solid foundation right so the the wealth you accumulate it's there for you you can you can have security on it and then when you pass it on to the next generation it compounds rather than depletes you know this is what really excites me too man is like you know right now if you're upper middle class maybe you're You have a few siblings, your parents leave a family home and you distribute the, the proceeds from that. And that's a nice little boost, you know, to your savings or your income or whatever. But most people aren't left with very much because most people kind of exit the world without very much in savings. What happens when each successive generation is left with a, like a bigger and, and more secure foundation than the last? Now, there, you know, we have to allow for like, well, there's people are going to spend and all this kind of stuff. But the option is now there to leave every generation with more than the previous one had. What does that look like in three or four generations when you come out into the world and you don't even have to go through that the horrible education system or the, you know, the, the shitty job <laughs> in the busy city that you had to go through? What if when you come out, oh my gosh. Your, your parents are available enough to you because of their own security that as you you were saying earlier they can mentor you they can foster your intellectual curiosity they can foster your physical health and well-being like they can really construct an environment where they're trying to give set you up optimally for success in the world and i think this means the the reintegration of a lot of things like ritual and tradition and this kind of stuff that we've just totally lost in this current era i think a lot of that comes back to help put people in a strong position to then when they reach adulthood, you know, a rite of passage of some kind at 13, 18, whatever. And they say, or maybe it's even clear by then, what direction do you want to go in life rather than spitting out of, you know, a shitty high school and being like, what do you want to study accounting law, whatever? Like man, how, how hopeful (laughs) is it? This is
0: exactly how I feel about the world. Yeah, totally. I agree. I know, but (laughs)
1: how, 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 how hopeful is it that, when people, like at that earliest stage in life, people will have at least the option, if not the total clarity, but at least the option to pursue the thing that they believe is most meaningful, right? Financial concerns won't be such an overbearing burden that they just have to make a snap judgment. And okay, what's going to make me the most money? I fucking hate accounting, but you know what? It's a hundred grand a year and I'll be uh, I'll able and work four and years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think that, I think we get, you know, people that are far more, open, honest, on fire about being alive, you know, to kind of use a cliche, cheesy uh, way of saying it. No, it's good. And I think that that creates a a, a far more beautiful culture than we currently have. So I'm, I'm super jazzed about that, too. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love all of that. I
0: love all of that. That was John. That was that was perfect. If we can all share our unique gift, how great would the world be instead of somebody with a great it sounds cheesy, right? It but sounds I cheesy, totally but I don't agree. know if we're in the middle of like a, another Renaissance. Like, I, I don't know. It just seems, we are. It, it seems possible. Yeah. Why did you use the words there rituals and traditions?
1: Why did you well, say it, that it, there? It comes to your point where, cause we were talking about that security that changes how we feel and how we engage the world and our level of anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And you were talking about mentors, right? And part of that is, both the individual who's being mentored and the mentor, just being available, both time and consciously available to try to convey or imbue wisdom, right? And and that is such a powerful thing that because of the frenetic pace of the world we're in today, because of the the way that our value hierarchies have been kind of distorted, you know, because of the anxiety that people have, because of the, the difficulty of integrating the current environment, both the you know the meat space world and social media digital environment like all this is so chaotic and we're seeing this represented in mental health issues and depression and anxiety and all this kind of stuff really uh, being an issue for especially the younger generation and I think it's because we've lost certain important elements of cultivating a human being um, as a result of this culture that fiat money has at least greatly contributed to if not the only cause of and I think we will, as we I was talking about how Bitcoin tends to cause people to ask the question to themselves, "What is the thing of greatest value to me? What, what are the things that I value most? And it it seems to allow people to answer that question with a higher degree of clarity than ever before. And I think as we continue to mull over, you know, kind of marinate on that question, we're going to look at the broader landscape of, of history. And we're going to say, like, once we determine what those things are, we're going to ask the question, what's the best way to cultivate them? Okay, wisdom is like a really important thing, right? It can really imbue your life with a a sense of meaning and a sense of calm in how you navigate the chaos of the world. All right. How do you cultivate wisdom? And, And history is replete with various practices and traditions and rituals that they themselves put in place. To, put, to help imbue people with the necessary tools to go out and live the, an optimized life for lack of a better term. And so I think we, as we begin to revalue all these things and they reemerge as being things that are primarily important to us, as those uh, artificial values and considerations get pushed further down the hierarchy because they're more taken care of, i.e. we're more secure in our future, I think we'll, 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 we'll browse the landscape of those practices, reintegrate them and even evolve and change them. And that's something that I'm like really, really interested in because my whole life I've, I've been highly concerned with health and philosophy and, you know, asking some of the bigger questions and trying to find answers wherever they may be found. And, you know, however strange a places they may be, they, they may be. And, uh, the question of like, and, and to be honest with you, and this may be a, a little bit of left field, but like there is also, I see a religious impulse emerging amongst Bitcoiners. And again, like I, I'm obviously biased. I'm very deep in the weeds. I you know, I'm a, I'm a hardcore Bitcoiner. So take this for what whatever you think it's worth. But because of this restructuring of, of value hierarchies, I mean, you could you could say God or at least a personal God, is the thing at the top of the value hierarchy. It's the thing that most dictates and directs your behavior. And as we're, as we're negotiating with this reorganization of our value hierarchies, it, it seems to beg the question, like, okay, up there with joy and truth and beauty and health and, and wisdom, like there's, there's these other kind of you know, perennial philosophies or these other deep, you know, meaningful things that typically have been dealt with in the realm of religious thought. And so what I see happening is like, because of this restructuring, a lot of Bitcoiners are, are, are starting to ask the question, myself included, like, what is the role of, of religion and religious thought? I think many of us come from the tradition that you know, dominates, let's say the, the developed world today in large part, which is religions are silly, superstitious, explanations that our ancestors dreamt up and to explain the natural world and to help assuage their fear of death, you know, and a few other explanations. And I think that is a that's a a hubristic judgment of the tremendous effort and wisdom that's gone in to developing what I think ultimately is attempting to be a framework for engaging life. Right. I I think the religious enterprise has been trying to say what should be at the top of your value hierarchy in order to allow you to uh, have the most meaningful, successful life possible in this reality that we exist in. Because, again, if we go back to that idea that our value hierarchies are like our how we determine our actions. Right. Like I like vanilla ice cream more than chocolate. So I choose vanilla. And that happens on every scale. And that's what dictates how we move through the world, how we encounter every single moment and every single decision we make. And so it matters what's at the very top, organizing and subordinating everything downstream of it. And I think that is primarily what the religious enterprise has been about. What, what values do you prioritize such that they elicit the best possible outcomes, both for you as an individual and harmoniously as a collective? And so there seems to be this reinvigorated uh, interest in religious story, myth, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think it, it's, it's wise not to be hasty and just say, I'm feeling a re- what seems to be a religious impulse and I'm gonna take one off the shelf and now I'm a Bitcoiner and I'm a fill in the blank re- religious person, right? And I, of course I don't mean any disrespect to anybody who has a certain faith or, or whatever, but for me, what I'm doing now is looking at them all and trying to understand why it is that something like Bitcoin is reintroducing or, or stimulating a religious, seemingly a religious impulse. And I'm trying to be very non hasty in mm-hmm. in digesting that, because if it's seemingly one of the most important um, inquiries that an individual can make right and that's why religions have been so central to cultures and civilizations as far back as we know and so i'm finding that isn't it bizarre that magic internet money is causing a reevaluation of the religious enterprise i think it is and so i've been enjoying digging my teeth into that
0: yeah i guess it would be because sometimes i think of the the current monetary systems as morally corrupt Mm. So then, and I think of Bitcoin, I know myself personally as bringing back morals to society, the economy, and I guess just the extrapolation of that would lead me, I'm just trying to think for myself, into an exploration of morality and principles and then living in my own integrity to my own principles so I can see where you're headed. And I guess it would need a summary imagination of some of the religious institutions, because some of the ones that I was brought up in kind of just rubbed me the wrong way so badly and poorly that I'm not interested in going back there. But I, right. hearing you say that, I am interested in what are the universal principles that maybe do apply to my unique life and what are, how could I live? with certain morals and what are those morals? How could I define them? And so I see, I see because I do, I do feel like the current system we live in has robbed my family. Like I just remember my father putting up drywall at 5. AM in the winter with his freezing his hands off and the $10,000 that he maybe earned over six months then now has been devalued to the point that if he gave it to my son, it's worth nothing. And I feel like that is just raw. Like to me, that hurts me to my soul. Yeah, I don't know why. Like it's over. We're doing financially, John. We're fine. Like we're you know we're doing. We've all worked hard, and we have a roof, and everybody has food. It's it's all good. But there's just something about that that hurts me deeply. I I I can't even articulate. It bothers. It it like literally bothers me. It bothers me that I could see my father and my mother working as hard as they have. And then for that to happen to them and you know what, they're actually probably fine with it, John. (laughs) That's the crazy part. I don't think they're too bad. They're fine. But to me, from my vantage point, it just feels like robbery. And now that I understand the systems behind it, I I don't agree. And I'm willing to to share your message to see if we can get other people to just think about these thoughts, not for you or me to tell them what to think, but just look into some of these things.
1: Well, you know, man, I like I un, I appreciate it's a far out notion. Obviously, I'm not oblivious to that, but I think any serious person in the world ultimately confronts these larger questions. And I, you know, it seems like the internet, broadly speaking, has kind of spurred this a, a type of awakening over the last twenty years, if for no other reason that the access to information is easier, and so people can get exposure to different perspectives and. They can they can explore their own consciousness more because how you know how do you have a, a fulfilling happy meaningful life without knowing those primary things that animate you that 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 direct you and I, again I think whether your primary pursuits there have been in like philosophy and stoicism etc or maybe they've been in the religious domains or maybe they've been in the spiritual mystical whatever but like it seems unavoidable that we contend with those things in order to really have a contentness and a happiness around our life and i agree that when you're placed in a culture that's predicated on the instantiation of immorality effectively from this money gets built into that culture and you receive as a result you receive those types of perverted signals and we are very much a we contribute to the culture we're also very much affected by the culture the oversimplified example i often use is if you and i were born in a in a village in the amazon we wouldn't be having this conversation right now we'd be very different people even if we were plucked from birth from canada and put there our thoughts our language our preferences all would be different right so it matters that you that the culture is optimized for cultivating this interplay between free, independent, liberated individuals, but a cohesive harmony and interplay with everybody else in the culture. And that's a real tricky thing to balance. And I think to your point, we've been contending with, because of the immorality built into the culture through the money, a lot of people have been Either one, just acquiescing to the principles that permeate the culture, and that's corrupted them morally to some degree, mostly subconsciously, or two, rejected it entirely, and which is why in today's day and age, you have a lot of people that just say "fuck the culture, burn it the fuck down." I I don't want to be a part of that. I don't feel congruent with that whatsoever, and you know, I can appreciate why because they're trying to, I you know, again to oversimplify. Perhaps we're trying to hold on to some of those eternal or or more uh, authentic elements of themselves. And they're finding that there's no way to be congruent with the world that they're forced to contend with, right? Like, I want to be honest and authentic and creative and joyful on a daily basis, but I'm forced to say things that are not true and listen to people that I, you know, I don't respect and do work that I don't actually give a fuck about. And that ends up corrupting you. Ultimately, it beats you down enough that you just acquiesce to the, to the circumstance you're in and you become a lesser version of yourself. And what I think is so hopeful is that when we end up, when we have a money that's going to instantiate a different set of principles, principles of honesty, fairness, openness, absoluteness, incorruptibility. I mean, when the culture is based on that, I think what's going to happen is we end up having a far healthier feedback loop between the individual and the culture, such that we both end up, you know, really making pretty great strides and, and this is why I'm so excited, man, because those big questions that we all try to answer and the best way of answering them is actually in, in who we become, right? It's not just some intellectual understanding, but actually be able to express that out into the world. If this premise is that the culture is going to become increasingly inviting to that process, then it's a tremendously exciting for the evolution of each of us as individuals, like my evolution, yours, anybody, anybody who's listening, like I'm not done, you know, I'm not done at all. I think there's a lot to be determined. And the fact that we can now, the fact that now the culture will be supportive of that rather than uh, inhibitive of that is super exciting to me. Good times ahead. Good (laughs)
0: good times ahead. Uh, John, well, well, I was going to ask you about some, Lightning network stuff and and but just when I hear you say that, I wonder if things are gonna happen faster than I imagine. Because you know, when I first started my corporate job, I was using inner office mail. You would stuff things in envelopes and like they would go between offices <laughs> and then like email and like portals came out so you could do your vacation requests, and that just went away overnight. The inner office mail thing. And you know, I have never tipped you using the lightning network, but on Twitter. When, the light, when Twitter turned on the lightning networks, or sorry, their, their tipping option, and I think it's Americans at first who can turn that on. I knew how to use the lightning network before that. Totally knew. I, I think you probably have a lightning network address that I could have dug up somewhere. I may, I maybe you've even seen it. Never tipped you. Never tipped you. They turned that on. I immediately tipped like 10 people <laughs> because the simplicity overnight went from a little bit of friction That was enough friction for me to say, Oh, I'll get to it. But then I never got to it to, Oh my gosh, there's no friction. I can tip I can send money to these people who I don't know where they are through Twitter on the lightning network, using some of the best property in the world, Bitcoin done. And it just happened like overnight. Hmm. And I just sometimes when I think of how fast things are happening, I'm wondering how, how incredible. Our future can be with everything that you've just shared shared on how we can, you know, think as people and and what society might uh, uh, change into. And then I think of my son, he's 19. He gets all of this stuff, his generation, they get, this isn't even, he's like, dad, I get it. I'm listening to John Ballas. I listen to Preston Pish. like dad, I listened, did you hear pomp over here said this? He's 19. He gets it. That's awesome. So, three or four years when he's out in the productive world, you know, because right now he's at Western University. I shouldn't make fun of it. I just, I just can't help it. He makes fun of it too. But anyway, um, when he's doing things, what's he going to bring to the world? That's his yeah. base layer understanding. Mm-hmm. He understands fiat dollars not because it came into the to to the to our verbiage in the last three or four years, like you you shared, which is completely true. He understands it. That's the only thing he's understood is fiat. Do- he understands fiat dollars almost from like the base layer of understanding of the economy. It's not a new concept for him. Mm-hmm. So in three or four years, when this generation comes into the economy doing things, I mean, they're having an effect now, let's face it. And then the technology changes where I can send John Vallis a tip through lightning network, some money. I can send my, my cousins in Croatia some money. Um, i already have in bitcoin and not go through the banking system over there we're close to some major changes and it's exciting it gets me
1: pumped so me me too man and for me you know the interesting tension right now is is what you were referring to earlier about the transition right so the world is crazy as the legacy system unwinds it's most likely going to cause quite a few disruptions whether that's in supply chain or quality of life or who the hell knows right and as the incumbent powers try to retain the power that they have they're probably going to use desperate measures and that gives me cause for concern and then I have these conversations and I think about how things will be on the other side of it and so I've got this tremendous tension right now where I'm like man I'm I'm pumped for the future but holy shit shit, (laughs) what's about to happen you know and like I don't know. That's a daily, you know, wrestling for me to figure out how to maneuver that uh, tension properly. Uh, But as you say, man, like and this is something I often try to remind myself first or two things. One, we won't be uh, I I think the change that's occurring, both as a result of what Bitcoin is and then how it's going to change the broader landscape that we are obviously a part of. We won't be the same people three, four or five years from now. Some of us will be very different, some of us will only be slightly different, but I try to approach that anxiety that I feel about things as uh, something that needs attention and I need to to contextualize properly and transform myself to become someone who's increasingly fit for the world that I wanna see, Mm -hmm. for the world that I think is emerging, right? So there's a very very much a, a personal element to this financial revolution. Shall we I say. wonder
0: if you have like ten books in you, John. I wonder if getting your thoughts down on a book would uh, help you, both you and some of us who would be interested in your thoughts. Because I could easily see you putting out at minimum ten books. <laughs> okay, so I'm I trying wonder...
1: to. I, I'm, I'm trying to do an article first, man. And okay, I, yeah, know, yeah, No, I know. Writing, t- <laughs> I, I get so amped up when I talk that it all—it's just stream of, con- you know, just yeah, yeah, pumps yeah, out, yeah, right? Yeah. But writing is so much more methodical. Like it requires a lot more discipline than I. Uh, I guess I typically start have with a share short, maybe start with speak. a
0: short book. I'm, wor- I yeah, start I, so
1: with- I'm working on an article right now and I'm, I hope cool. to get it out soon, but it's like 60 pages. So, you know, it's, oh, it's awesome. kind of oh. book like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what was the other part of that? Uh, I'll let you where I've, I've
0: been kept you. I've kept you way over uh, that. I thought I was going to keep, I know, but I, right?
1: I want, the, the, if I can bring, if I can recall it back. Right. So we're saying there's the element of, of you, we won't be the same. Right. And then this this transition will 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 force us to change into something that you know maybe it's uncomfortable, but we we know we need to change in on the other into on the other side of this. I remember now. Perfect. So sometimes we feel like we're we're on the rot, like we're watching this unfold, right? Like me and you are here and we're like, oh, wicked El Salvador, and yeah, my my but we are the unfolding, you know, like the fact that you sent Twitter tips over the last month. That is this happening at an accelerated pace. And so the thing that I try to focus on, the thing or the most important thing is how much I understand and integrate this new world. And I actually use it, feed into it, this new circular economy, if you want to call it that or whatever, like on on every element, the personal, the economic, the financial, the career level, how much am I feeding into this? Because that is very much the only determinant of how fast this happens. Right. And so when when John and Tom end up using lightning as 10 percent of our payments and then 50 and then whatever, then so, too, you know, that steps forward. And then the next cohort of people come in and it's easier for them to do so because the things that get built up as a result of our demand and use of that system create opportunities, blah, 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 blah. And so as because on Bitcoin Twitter, you can think that, like, we're the group that's cheering everybody on, being like, do it, do it. But it's actually Agreed. It's us good point. Who have us who, who have to adopt and, and integrate this stuff just as much as anybody else. Uh, I guess. Agreed.
0: And and here at Rockstar, we have a bit of a Bitcoin program that I won't go into too much details around. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I can tell you more about that off, offline. And we've had the first person. So there's, there's about 60 people who are here who have their real estate licenses. And then we have a team inside. But the first person approached us. I was so happy say, hey, can you pay me in Bitcoin? So the, it's have to your point, yeah it's and if if and, we can and
1: that's one I think we're really gonna see in the next year or two. Like we're seeing it with professional athletes and stuff now, but when the penny drops, I mean everyone's just gonna be like, pay me in bit yeah, pay me in Bitcoin because if you're paying me in in cuck bucks, you're gonna have to give me a 30 percent raise to yeah. account for this yeah. inflation that yeah. we're seeing or something. Yeah. So that's awesome though. I mean, great to hear. yeah,
0: cool. John. Thank you so much for this. I could talk to you forever about all of this kind of stuff. And um, I just want everyone to know, John has two podcasts. They're both fantastic. Bitcoin Rapid Fire and um, Closing the Loop. So if you're looking for good material to listen to and more about John interviewing great guests about all sorts of subjects, Bitcoin Rapid Fire and Closing the Loop, John's on Twitter. I'm saying this because I don't even know if you're going to share your own stuff. So I'm sharing this and then you can, (laughs) John is on Twitter, a worthy follow on Twitter at John K. Vallis, V-A-L-L-I-S. Anything anyone should know about those two podcasts?
1: Uh, Not really. The the rapid fire one is the one that I started because I was obsessed with Bitcoin and just needed to, tell and talk and to people it about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the other one is, uh, CT is a subsidiary of uh, the Acre Group in Norway. It's a big energy conglomerate there. And uh, yeah, they they kinda, the people at the top became orange-pilled and they wanted to invest in the space as well as contribute to great projects and push technology forward in certain domains. And they asked me to come on and help with some, some of the things they're doing around media and podcasting and so, um, that's what's going on there, and you know they're they're really doing a lot with podcasting 2.0. I don't know how much you've gotten into that yet, but basically, it's a you know something that's been made possible by the Lightning Network, and to try to one create um, media publishing that's more resi- resistant to censorship. As we know, we exist in a time now where you got to watch your P's and Q's when you're speaking publicly, lest you be kicked off these platforms. And two different monetization models so that people can move away from the ad based model. And so, if you have an app like Breeze, uh, B R E E Z, which is a great interface for the Lightning Network, you can actually find my podcast, Bitcoin Rapid Fire, and CT, and many others in the space, and you determine how many sats you stream on a per minute basis. So, let's say you stream 10 sats per minute, you listen to 10 minutes. You've paid 100 sats for the content. And of course, you can tip and boost and stuff like that. And we, I mean, everyone understands that at this current time, people don't want to part with too many of their Bitcoin. But it is actually very encouraging to see that people are supporting it because they believe in the emergence of an alternative method of, of publishing and media that's required in this given landscape and a, a value for value model, which is what it's been uh, become known as, Seems to be appealing to people, and it's super early days, but those are some of the things that CT is pushing forward on, and that I've been helping them with.
0: Will you be on multiple of those platforms as they evolve, or is Breeze the one that you've chosen?
1: Uh, multiple. So it's yeah, basically, okay. you 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 put your um, you you get listed in the podcast index. You put your lightning pub key in your RSS feed, and basically. You know, any platform that supports podcasting 2.0, you'll be there.
0: Oh, okay. Cause I think I just downloaded my first one yet yeah, last night. This is funny timing. Yeah. And um, I haven't really done anything with it, but I see the boost button. I have my Lightning wallet. I just sent some sats over to it. So I'm ready. So now I can get this set up and I can tip you. So I'm excited. <laughs> So and I can, you can, I can do it with, with your pod. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, do it yeah, this yeah at some, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, at some point, at some point, perhaps <laughs> we'll do something like that. But that's exciting. That's super exciting. Cool. And what's Very really
1: cool, cool the, the last point on that is what, what CT in particular has innovated on is previously that streaming sats was on a show level. So all the sats that were streamed, they would go to the, the show creator. Their pub key would, their public address would be in the RSS. But now you can split the per episode stream. So for example, on my no way. On, our most, uh, on our most recent podcast, I received some as the host, our audio engineer received some and Preston directed his stream to the Human Rights Foundation. So when you're listening to that podcast, money so is cool. streaming in real time like, to yeah, three different so people yeah, in yeah, that's perpetuity. Ridiculous. So it, it's like syndication forever. It's amazing. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah, because yeah. at any time anyone listens to that episode, as long as those channels are open, I can stream some sats, even if it's a year from now, wow yeah super cool yeah super cool we'll (laughs) leave it at that john thank you so much for this man i really always appreciate these talks so
1: thank you thank you very much me too tom i appreciate it look forward to doing it again sometime
0: hey everyone hopefully enjoyed that chat with john so you can find him on twitter at john k Vallis. that's john k Vallis. v-a-l-l-i-s he has two podcasts, Bitcoin Rapid Fire, and he is the host of the Closing the Loop podcast. Check out those. Highly recommend it. And if you are listening to this and you want some real estate specific information from us in the greater Toronto area and Golden Horseshoe, how you can find cash flow and income properties, what what cities in this area we're working in, what are the rents looking like, you can find all that information at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life. Your terms.